Thank you, gentlemen. Kindergarten through third grade are dismissed for junior church. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, if you don't, I encourage you to grab one from under the pew and turn to Proverbs chapter 16. We're going to look at the first nine verses of Proverbs chapter 16. Last week, this is a continuation of the biblical uh, biblical decision-making process. Last time, we talked about that we need to put our decisions based on truth, on the facts, on reality. Today, we're going to look at what do you do when you have the facts? Because here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't get mad at me, but you're not all that wise and you're not that strong compared to God. Because when we have the facts, when we have the truth, when we know what reality is, we need to put it into practice. And the only way to put it in practice and do it in a biblical way is by faith in God. Most of my sermon is not even going to use the word faith, but it's going to use the word commit, which means to roll over upon. You see, you can have the best intentions And you can have a really good plan. And you can have good advice and everything else. But we fall short. The Bible is very clear. It starts in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. And it says the just shall live by faith. And three times in the New Testament it quotes that verse. Why does it quote it? Because God is very clear. Do you get saved by faith? The answer is, there is no other way to come to God except by faith in Jesus Christ. The finished, complete, perfect work of Christ, it's real, it's historical, it's a fact. But we need to put it into practice. That's living. That's getting saved by faith. But it doesn't stop there. It says the just, or the one who's already righteous, the believer, shall live by faith. There are two things that I know of from the New Testament that illustrate that best. One is, it tells us, I can do, and this is Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notice what it says. That you can do the things that you need to do by the strength of Jesus Christ. It did not say, pat yourself on your back, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It doesn't say any of those things. It says that we are dependent on God. He is the strong one, the mighty one. He's above and beyond all the rest. But there's a second principle in the New Testament that illustrates this, and that is James chapter 1, verse 5. There, it's very clear. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not in King James Version. You go, abradeth not. Here's what it all means. It doesn't hold, he doesn't hold it against us. You see, usually we think we're worshiping God only when we're praising Him for something great He's done, an answer to prayer. But you're also praising God when you come to Him and say, Lord, I'm not wise enough. By the way, I'm first, I'm not strong enough, and I'm not wise enough, but you are, and I'm rolling this over on you because I need your wisdom and your strength. That is the basis of how do I live by faith. I believe it's prayer. I'm going to end with this, so I'll start it, start it with this too. Is if you're going to make a decision, there's nothing wrong with making plans. In fact, is God makes it clear we are to make plans. 
He gave us a brain and expects us to use it. He expects us to use our brain based on truth and facts and reality and all those things. But if you don't pray about it and you say, hey, I thought this through and I'm going to go do it, you are in big trouble. And I'm going to prove that from Proverbs chapter 16. But I'm not strong enough, nor am I wise enough to be able to carry out even the things that are good and right and proper and biblical. I need God to be able to carry that out. And so uh, you're going to see a big contrast. Now, I hope you're in Proverbs chapter 16. No slides today. This is straightforward. Uh, I am going to try to get done in plenty of time. I'm going to go fast uh, because nobody wants to be in here in a sauna longer than they need to. So we'll get you out of here as soon as possible. But Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. He says, make preparations, make your plans, have a purpose for life, have a mental picture of what you want to do, arrange things. VBS did not happen by a bunch of 40 people showing up and saying, we're going to have VBS. I, I watched what was happening in the office, particular Peter and Mindy and a whole bunch of other people that were coming in and out, making arrangements and doing all kinds of stuff. You know what? It was a lot of arranging. We also prayed about it a lot. And it didn't turn out exactly the way we had planned. Even though God answered one of those prayers and the storm went right around us. Peter was really thrilled about that. But you know what? We don't know those outcomes. We can only go so far humanly. Our human wisdom, our human strength only goes so far. But we do need to use it. He says <clears throat> that the plans of the heart, it means... Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Remember, emotions are not necessarily bad, but they are not the primary motivator. They're not the primary means. It's part of it. God is not against you having desires, personal desires. He's not against that. But we need to commit them to the Lord. So, and that, but he goes on to say in the last half of that verse, but the answer of the tongue, the response, the, the final outcome, is up to God. When we started the renovation project of, of the uh, guest house, 18 years ago, we bought that and we kind of did a, a kind of a gut job on some of it, added rooms on walls and bathrooms, and we did all kinds of stuff. It took six months or so to do it. Well, that's 18 years ago. A lot of stuff is in bad shape. So my wife uh, and I were working on it. And so were a lot of other people. There's a whole bunch of people from the congregation that helped. And um, when we started, my wife and I, we kind of butted heads a few times. That's uh, par for the course. Uh, anybody that knows us, we're not alike. I'm function. It's like, does it work? Why fix it? You know, it works. And she's like, well, it doesn't look good. So then we have to do that. Okay. That causes some uh, tension at times. Well, she's going, uh, I said, all we're going to do is put a floor in and paint the walls. Well, we need to paint the kitchen cabinets. Well, we need to paint the bathroom. I'm like, no, the bathrooms are out of... We're not doing a renovation. Well, she won. She was going to paint the cabinets. But anyway, so we, we started. Now, understand, this project started two years ago. But a number of young ladies who were working in Harrisburg with, with teenage girls needed a place to live. So we said, you know what? It's not renovated yet, but if you want to move in, 
it could use some work, but you can move in. So that was two years ago. So that we had our supplies bought. Rick had gotten us flooring and all kinds of stuff. We had plans. But you know what? God's plans were not exactly our plans. So now it's two years later, and we have somebody that needs to use it, or we gave them permission to use it uh, this Tuesday coming up. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, get it done. So we start out in phase like, we got to paint that kitchen. That kitchen's ugly. we got to paint it. I said, you painted 18 years ago. You're the one that chose it, but that didn't, that didn't work. <laughs> so Brian Ireley comes and says, they're tearing houses down that are only eight or nine years old, and they have nice kitchens and appliances and furniture and all these things. They're ripping them down to put new dorms in for Penn State. We can go in there and we can gut that stuff out. I looked at them and said, wow, that's a really nice kitchen. So a couple of guys helped me. We went in, ripped the kitchen out, took it over. My wife looks at me and goes, I thought you weren't renovating. <laughs> anyway, by the time it's done, we put a new kitchen in. There's new flooring in. Everything's been painted. Uh, you name it. We want to show it off because we want to use it for God's glory and we want God to use it. You know what? We've done the work. We've planned it and all that. But the truth is, we're still not done because we want God to be glorified by that. So tonight we're going to go and show you and we're going to have a word of prayer over there and rededicate. But you know what? Did we have plans? Yes. The servant board was behind it. Everybody knew. We agreed to the money and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? The end result. The fact is, some people that were able, were going to help, they, they got sidetracked because they had other things they needed to do. Right, Rick? And uh, you know what? I'm like, hey, Rick, I'm no expert, but uh, tell me what to do. <laughs> so I had a number of other guys come and help. And Rick, you need to examine that to make sure we did the right job. Uh, but anyway, the whole point is, we had plans. We thought we knew what we wanted to do. But the Lord has the privilege, the right. And yes, He really needs to override some of those things. See, if we would have done that two years ago, we would have done a minimum job. Now, I hope that by the time I'm dead, that thing's still going to be used and nobody has to go and redo it again. Point is... God has to have the right to overrule. That's what it says. The, the answer, the response of the tongue is from the Lord. But it doesn't end there because it continues on in verse 2. All the ways of the man are clean in his own sight. You see, I can look at things and I think this is the only way to do it. That's Faye and I. Well, we're going to do it this way. And she goes, no, we're not. We're going to do it this way. She thinks she's right. I think I'm right. <laughs> okay? You know what? It doesn't mean one of us wrong or right. It, it doesn't mean that. It just simply means God has to have the, the ability, and he does, but we need to turn it over to him. It says, the Lord weighs the motives. He looks at that and says, you know, what do you want to get out of this? He wants it for his glory, ultimately. I'm going to move on. i got a lot of other things. But here's the key verse, verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. That's the key verse of this whole thing. When we commit it to the Lord, the word literally means to roll it over. I have a skid loader. The church has a backhoe. We've rolled some pretty heavy things on the bucket of one of those, lifted them up, and we're able to move them wherever we wanted to. On my own, I couldn't do that. I, 
a, a whole bunch of us could have, could have not gotten together and moved some of these big rocks and stuff. But that backhoe just put it in there. And, you know what? But we did get it, need to roll it onto there. That's what he's saying. No problem with planning. God gave us a creative mind. I heard Andre talking about teaching kids they need to be creative and things like that. I don't disagree with that at all. But we need to make sure that it's done by faith. You don't depend totally, completely on yourself. You have to say, Lord, you gave me a brain. I'm using it. This this looks good. This looks what I think. But in my sight, I'm always right. Oh, don't look at me like that because you think the same thing. You know, if you think, thought them through, you think you're right. Yours is the only way. We're all that way. He says, no, that's not the way it works. You commit it to the Lord. And then your plan will be established. That word established means to stand up, to take a stand, to be erect, to have commitment behind it, have some push behind it. That's what it means. It is something that's going to be fixed. It's something that actually works in the end. I am so glad that so many times when I pray about something, God gives me above and beyond what I could have never thought on my own. I know you might think this is funny, but if I'm fixing your lawnmower, I'm going to tell you I pray about fixing your lawnmower many times. I'm sad to say I don't always do that, but sometimes I'm like, Lord, I don't know how to fix this. I cannot figure this out. And believe it or not, I know it sounds silly, but God gives wisdom. Anybody that knows anything about fixing stuff, you're not going to disagree with that. That if you turn it over to the Lord, He can give you above and beyond. And His way is established. That's where we're at. Now, this next verse has been chewed up, spit out, misused so many times. And I'm just going to tell you the context has nothing to do with the way it's used. Because a lot of times people look at this and say, God made people to send them to hell. Some people he made to send to heaven and some people he made to send to hell. That's not the context at all. The context is making plans. And notice what it says. God has made everything for its own purpose. Its own reply. And I'm going to tell you the next verse is going to give you the rest of the context. Because it's just simply saying, if you don't commit your plans to the Lord, there is an outcome that's not a good one. And it is another way of stating the law of sowing and reaping. If I have plans and I do not roll them over to the Lord, it's going to say, look at the next verse if you don't believe me. It's going to say you're proud or arrogant. That's the whole thing. And so if you do things on your own, be ready for a crash and burn. Because it's not going to work right. But when you commit it to the Lord, He's the one that brings the end result. And so these things, and notice it's not for His purpose, it's for its purpose. The, the emphasis is on the thing. And so if you do something that's a, your plan, and God is working with you, you've committed it to Him, He is showing you the right direction, tweaking it as it goes, whatever it is. Uh, he says, it has a good purpose. It's established. On the other hand, if you do it on your own, on your own strength, your own wisdom, you got a problem. Because notice what it says. It says, He's made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. The word evil there simply is not talking about going to hell and burning forever and that kind of stuff. That's not it at all. That's not the context. The context is simply that it's not going to have the, the desired result. It's going to bring discomfort. It's going to bring the, exactly the opposite 
The, it's going to bring, instead of something good, it's going to bring misery, distress, and all of those kinds of things. Because that's exactly what the word means. It is the opposite of committing your way to the Lord. And how do I know that? Look at verse 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination of the Lord. Now, I want you to hear that again. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination of the Lord. Assuredly, assuredly, he will not go unpunished. See, sometimes we think, well, if I'm not living by faith, remember, I'm taking the facts, I'm taking the plans, and by God's help, by God's strength, by God's wisdom, I'm putting them into practice. If I don't do that, it's not just, oh, you missed the boat a little bit. He says, no, you won't go unpunished. In fact, is he uses a word that says it's disgusting to him. He says it's an abomination of the Lord. If you're a Christian and you're not living by faith, you're doing things your own way, guess what? It's not just a little mistake. He says it's an abomination to the Lord. If you Go back and look at this passage. This is one tough passage. I don't like a lot of what I'm telling you right now because I'm like, well, I did that on my own. It, it turned out okay. I guess I'm okay. God doesn't look at it that way. He says, hey, Paul, you did not turn this over to me. You didn't roll it over on me. You didn't, you didn't check in with me at all. And you expect this to be established? He says, no. It's, it's actually, you're proud in heart. You're arrogant. You think that you're all this and, you know, a little more. No, you're not. But I am. That's the difference. He said, if you don't do that, it's an abomination to the Lord. And surely, without a doubt, there is punishment that comes with it. Oh, and I'm not going to tell you if you live and you're not living by faith that nothing good ever happens in your life. That's not what I'm telling you at all. I'm just saying the end result is God doesn't fix it. God doesn't establish it. It's not going to fully live out God's will in your life and... You're proud because you said, I can do this one on my own. I'm not asking you to put up your hand, but I'm going to put my hand up and say, unfortunately, the pastor of Garden Chapel does this way, way, way too often. Oh, when I get in the jam, I'm pretty good at rolling it over on the Lord. But do I do it regularly? It doesn't matter what the outcome is. He says, I haven't honored him. It's an abomination to him. And I'm just going to tell you, I have done it. I have done you know, I, and I pray about a lot of stuff. And I usually pray when I get in a jam. Anybody, you can put your hand up. Do you pray best when you're in a jam? Yeah, that's me. Uh, I'm pretty good at praying when I'm in the jam. It's like, okay, Lord, I tried it my way. Ah, you know what? I'm not smart enough and I'm not strong enough. But uh, you, you can do it now. <laughs> and I, I think he's going, Paul, how dense are you? That Pennsylvania Dutch brain of yours and that skull is thicker than I ever intended it to be. But anyway, that's the way it is. And then he goes on to say, By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by fear of the Lord, one keeps from evil. Notice, the evil here, the context is, I haven't rolled it over on the Lord. Yeah, it's not some immorality or unethical behavior. It's simply, I didn't trust the Lord. And he says, if you fear the Lord, it, fear means reverence, to, to treat him with awe, to treat him for who he really is, the exalted one that he is that we sing about every Sunday morning. You know, that, that's what he wants us to do. 
And then he goes on to say, um, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. The word peace there means friendly with him. Before I was a pastor, I was teaching a Sunday school class, and I was teaching the book of Proverbs. And I got to this, and I just said, this is a biblical principle. If you do things God's way, commit it to Him, do it His way, His strength, with His wisdom, uh, God does things above and beyond what you could do. In fact, is people that are even enemies will be peaceable toward you. After, after it was over, a 20-something guy a smart aleck, and, and he really was. I'm not judging him. No, I am judging him. Sorry, I am actually judging him. Because he was a smart aleck, because he did this several times. He comes up to me and says, Oh, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar was tinkled pink with uh, damn friends. And I looked at him and I said, I read the end of the story. That ended that conversation really quick. But he was being a smart aleck. He's like, well, you're saying that principle works. Well, look at Nebuchadnezzar. Look what, you know, look what happened here. Was Nebuchadnezzar? No, not. It's not instant stuff, but it's the end result. There's a lot of things in life that you do not see the results. Guess what? That's called living by faith. Because if it's by faith, you're basing it on truth. You're basing it on God's wisdom and God's power. But you haven't seen the final result yet. But you can be assured in that direction. You can roll it over in him, and he's the one carrying it out. I'm telling you, you check yourself. Do, do a little examination. How strong are you really? How wise are you really? We're not. By the way, I don't want anybody to go out here depressed. I want you to go out saying, Whoa, I know what I'm like, and I know what the Savior is like, and he is great, and that makes my life worth living. And I can do things above and beyond what I ever thought, because he is the one that's establishing it. It ends with this way, because if you think this means you're going to be good-looking and rich and have a good position, that's not what it teaches. Again, context. Verse 8, better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. You see, when you do it his way, it's not about, do I have the position? Do I have the money? Do I have the power? Do I have whatever? It's not about that. It's about my relationship with Him. And I realize that I'm right with Him. He is the one that's the controlling force in my life. He is the one that brings about the desired end and the desired result. I've said it many times. It's a very elementary and minimal definition of faith. But I take God at His word and leave the results to Him. Now, we can do that in a whole lot of other ways. That's basically when it comes to salvation and spiritual things. But here, it gives us the practical for the rest of life. It's like, no, you have plans? Commit them to the Lord. So don't rush into things. Pray about it. Recognize you can't do it. Not with the desired end result. Not something that's lasting, established, fixed. Something that will stand. We need Him. And here's what He does. He ends this whole thing, brings this context to an end. The mind of a man plans his way. That word means like somebody that uh, does needlepoint or weaving or whatever else. Puts it together. It literally means to weave together. That's what it means. So when I weave it together, I got it all planned out in my head. I got all kinds of stuff. I, I, I plan out the tractor pull strategy and how to build an engine long before I even touch the engine. 
doesn't always work, but I have the plans for it. I weave it. I've got it all in my mind. Sermons are the same way. I can honestly tell you I didn't know how this sermon... I have eight pages of notes this morning. I've used uh, fully two of them, I think. I didn't know I was going to do that when I stood up here at 8 o'clock. But I said, Lord, last night, uh, this isn't coming together. I'm not sure where I'm going with this whole thing. And by this morning, I knew where it was going. It's just the way it is. It doesn't matter if it's work. It doesn't matter if it's a job. It doesn't matter if it's buying a car. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. You need to roll it over. Commit it to him. Doesn't mean you don't use your brains. You do. He gave them to you. But notice what it says. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Guess what? The word directs is exactly the same word that was established earlier. He's the one that fixes it. He's the one that makes it stand. It's the one that sticks. It's the one that has the best results. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Father, we all too often stop at the, we got saved by faith. And then we hope that we just do our best. Lord, you don't see it that way. You want us to live by faith, day by day, moment by moment, thought by thought. You want us to plan. You want us to use what you've given us. You want us to search the Word and search the Internet for uh, how to fix something or whatever it is. But Lord, ultimately, we need to turn it over to you because only with your power and your wisdom can we really make a biblical decision. Lord, I pray that we would keep this in mind starting the moment I say amen, that we would begin to put Lord first and commit everything we do to him so that our plans will be indeed established and have a lasting effect. Lord, thanks so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God and go outside and get hotter yet.